Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. Hi, and welcome to Series 3 of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. Look, we've had some fabulous feedback on the first two series. Thank you. Series 1 went down a storm, and Series 2 did also. In particular, the last episode with my daughter, Grace Rose, had some acclaimed feedback. Many of you enjoyed that. It brings me great pleasure to welcome my first guest of Series 3, Victoria Gosling. Vicky is the CEO of GB Snowsport today. Previously, has been the CEO for Invictus Games, and prior to that, served 21 years in the Royal Air Force, culminating in the prestigious rank of Group Captain. Wow, that's one hell of a career. Vicky, a really warm welcome to you. How are you? I'm really well, and thank you very much for having me. Yes, it's an exciting time, isn't it? And it's slightly challenging because of, uh, obviously, the complications of COVID, particularly in my remit, but all good. So you're about to take a, a whole bunch of athletes out to the Olympic Games starting shortly. How's the prep going? Yeah, it's going actually really well, Phil. I think for me, it feels a little bit like I've reverted back to being in the military and I'm about to plan deploying on on an operation and we're not quite sure exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, as they always say, know your enemy. I think in this occasion, it's uh, it's clearly COVID. Yeah, it feels very much like planning a military exercise right now or going on a deployment. I'd like to come back to that, but let's start from the beginning. You've got one hell of a CV. Give us a background to how on earth you landed in doing, you know, firstly, career in the Royal Air Force, CEO of Victus Games, now today CEO of GB Snowsport. You run a fintech business, you're a mum of three. All of those seem like full-time jobs. How the hell have you done this? Well, people that are really good, actually, (laughs) and not me. No, so I I think really it started out, as you're right, it started out, but I did uh, languages at Leeds University and then I went on to join the Royal Air Force and had a fantastic career, you know, literally deployed all over the world, met some incredible people. And, you know, the two key moments were probably my deployment into Iraq in 2003, well, into the borders of Iraq in 2003, and also setting up what became Combined Services Adaptive Sports and led me into the Invictus Games. And having done the latter, because, and I set set the uh, Combined Services Adaptive Sports up largely because we had so many casualties in in, uh, 2009, 2011. I'd been to Headley Court, I'd seen some of my colleagues who'd obviously endured injury, and they were playing sitting volleyball at the time. I remember looking at them thinking, Oh my goodness, there were, I think it was about 13 double amputees on the mats, you know, all average age between about 18 and 32. And what was really apparent was the fact that actually they're having a great time, brilliant banter, and despite not one of them having any legs, you know, the esprit de corps was there. It was from there that the Combined Services Adaptive Sports was actually born because at the time I was the Commodore of uh, the RF Water Sports Centre. And I'd been told, I had been given a mission of use it or lose it. And it was within travelling distance from Headley Court, which is where I'd seen these guys. So I, I set up an adaptive water sports day there, got piranha to bring sit-on-top kayaks, etc. And we bought about 30 of the guys across and it was really good fun. And then I went on and did something similar with the RAF Tennis Centre at Holton. I bought in the Royal Engineers, built some ramps, and, and we did a wheelchair tennis day there, which was amazing. And the Duchess of Gloucester came. So I became a bit of a guru in this adaptive sport while I was um, doing my commanding officer role at Benson. And so as a, as a result, on, and on the back of that, in um, June 2013, I was asked would I go and 
helped set up what became then the Invictus Games. So my career just went from there because the next step was obviously becoming the chief executive and taking it to America for 2016 and subsequently then came into Snowsport and did the variety of other jobs that you've just touched upon. But a lot of people think about the Invictus Games as synonymous with Prince Harry. You must have had a close relationship with him in terms of working alongside him. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He was, um, you know, he was the one that uh, we sent out a, a team of about 30 actually went out to America and it was the Wounded Warrior Games. So it was an American concept to start with, very much set up to cater for wounded, injured and sick, serving men and, and women from the US armed forces. And we sent a team, they invited us to send a team of 30 to go and guest there. And he went to go and have a look. And actually it was while he was there and he saw it and he thought how fantastic it was and he could really see the power that sport could play in the recovery journey that at the end of his press statement, I don't know if you know this, but at the end of his press statement, he had lived, he sort of carried on and said how fantastic it was. And then he said, oh, and I can't wait to take this back to the UK and make it bigger and better and international. And it was with that that actually my phone went because I was sat back, believe it or not, I was sat back as RAF Benson due to deploy to Afghanistan. And uh, in the September, I got a call saying, look, Prince Harry's just made this announcement. We're going to have to build these games. We don't know what they look like. We don't know who's going to be involved or how many countries or whatever, but he wants to make it international. We've got the theme, obviously, from the Americans, but you're no longer going to deploy. You're actually going to go to Kensington instead and help set these up as the military exec lead. And and that's where, and where we went from. But from Prince Harry's side, I mean, he was absolutely pivotal to enabling that success. And now, obviously, you're CEO of GB Snow Sports on the eve of a, a Winter Olympics. How's the preparation going? Well, I think, given the, the uh, what we've been up against, Phil, we're doing incredibly well. We've got a fantastic cohort of athletes, both across the Olympics and the Paralympics um, within snow sports. And in the last, you know, three and a half years, or well, three years, really, we've had more athletes on more podiums than ever in British history across the different snow sport disciplines, both in Olympic and Paralympic snow sport. And so we're really excited. In terms of preparation, I think it's been challenging just because the, you know, the goalposts keep moving. If you throw in the mix COVID, and Brexit and the restriction on our athlete spending only 90 days out of 180 in Europe, that's challenging at best, um, combined with the fact we're not exactly blessed with a lot of snow and, and huge mountain ranges. So we have to go, uh, you know, we're heavily reliant on Europe as we are across, you know, the world, the US, etc. So yes, it's been challenging, but do you know what? We've got an incredible team. We've got the most amazing strength and conditioning and, you know, well, sports science and medicine has been fantastic for us. And we've been very innovative there. In fact, you might have seen we've just um, released the announced the sit ski from Williams for our Paranordic skiers. And that's been amazing we'd had to keep it under wraps so that nobody else could copy in the short time frame that we have and we put the guys on it we're racing on it at the weekend and we had the best results ever so i have to say the results keep coming thick and fast we had um again charlotte banks won another gold last weekend 
and we just keep delivering so it's exciting but it's going to be challenging there's no doubt about that and of course it's artificial snow and uh, quite a tough challenging environment and if anybody gets covid on the way out on the aircraft then everybody becomes a contact so we're trying to deal with how we logistically manage that and we don't wipe the entire team out despite all of that phil i am extremely excited Brilliant. It's going to be fantastic. And then with all of that, you also run a fintech business. I just don't know where you get the time. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that one's challenging. <laughs> the reality is, so I do the uh, the chief strategy role for that. So I helped set this up um, a few years ago now, um, bringing the investment in. And, and, the, and the purpose of that fintech is really to use technology to power financial inclusion by providing financial products and services to a consumer base that's probably been overcharged and underserved quite a long time now and exploited by high cost short term lending. So we're really trying to create that financial inclusion, working collaboratively with you know specialists in this space and sort of going alongside your community, um, your CDFIs, your, your community development um, financial institutions. I mean, it's been really interesting, but because I very much focus on the visionary side of it and how we can build it and how we can collaborate and stakeholder engagement and networking, it all actually fits into what I do on a daily basis anyway. So it's 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 not too difficult. The people who do the really hard graft are those that are creating the financial services products and building the code realistically and working how we do this with the underwriting. Because again, it's a very, very, very complicated space but um, and challenging space, but very rewarding if you get it right. We've deliberately called this podcast Leadership Confessions. And when I think about your career, whether that was in the Royal Air Force, whether that was the CEO of Invictus, you know, CEO of GB Snowsport or FinTech, or even as a, a mum of three, what's been your biggest challenge as a leader to date? <sighs> you know, I think, let me be honest, when I was asked would I become the chief exec to take the Invictus Games to America, you know, that was unbelievably challenging because if you think about it yes I'd been in in interesting circumstances and I've led a lot of different scenarios within the military I'd also played a pivotal role in the first Invictus Games but when I went to take that remit on I guess that was where I really felt imposter syndrome and that's where I felt very challenged because I was leaving behind a board an incredible board which was the Olympic board it was it was chaired by Keith Mills and obviously we'd had the Olympics in London in 2012 and I was going on and the board around that with the same board, the board that we used for the Invictus Games in 2014 in London was the same board we used for the London Olympics. But I went out to America and the board that we used there were very much more aligned to sort of A-list celebrities. So, for example, President George Bush Jr. was the honorary chair. And I don't think I ever actually met that board until when Prince Harry came over actually to visit in the March before the May to meet the board and to meet the executive. And it was probably about the first time that I'd actually been in a room with this particular board that had been convened. And when he was asking the questions and directing them around the room, I felt really exposed because I pretty much had to take them all. So it was a really challenging time. And I also had a very short time frame to put those games on. So you can imagine putting a games on in Orlando. And at the same time, you've got to make sure that you're selling all these tickets. And there wasn't a great understanding of the Invictus Games brand wasn't really known. Um, you know, we were using the ESPN wide world of sports and it's I mean, it's big 
we'd got them to um i'd actually managed to to get them to build a temporary 50 meter swimming pool on one of their baseball centers because that was the only thing that was missing and we needed it and it was disney so i said well clearly the magic can happen you make the magic happen so just you need to give us a swimming pool but it was challenging and so i i found that i was probably slightly out of my depth to start with and it was only when i shook it up a little bit and started thinking i need to really bring people that i trust and i know that can help me deliver this in this time frame that i reached back actually into my military network and started bringing people in that could help me um, deliver against the volunteer program deliver against ticket sales deliver against the sponsorships and they might not have had the you know the right qualifications but i knew that we can do they could step in and they were extremely agile with the way that they thought I guess what's really interesting, Vicky, thank you, but when you, when you opened up there, you talked about imposter syndrome and, and, and so many of the leaders, no matter what level uh, we work with and coach, many will talk about imposter syndrome. We all have it and it's about how you deal with that and how you handle that because we all do have it. Though other people don't think others do. Do you know what made it worse, Phil, actually, was because we had somebody from a big, one of the big four, actually from over there, was helping support it with the team and I actually didn't think they were very good at what we needed to do because I didn't think they were aligned to the mission and that's another challenge that you'll find you know I didn't think they were aligned to the mission that we were trying to achieve and I didn't particularly trust this said individual and he was pretty senior in the company and I actually found the courage to bring him in to challenge him on it it was early on and I remember him reinforcing imposter syndrome by telling me you know here I am this is what I've done as a consultant this big organization doing events and here you are just you know fresh out of your military career as a group captain where you can just effectively shout at people and they do what they, you know you want them to do and it, it was one of those moments where I kind of had to re-step into gear and get rid of the monkey that was feeding the imposter syndrome because here I had somebody actually telling me and trying to reinforce it and I needed to get a grip really dig deep and, and step back up to him and say okay it's over so you're gone so there and then I moved 20 of them on and then I did have probably about three hours of, of a really fast beating heart wondering what I was going to do. You want confessions, there you go. Yeah, I nearly named who it was, but. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's, a, that's a, clearly a great success story. What, what do you think has been your biggest mistake as a leader and what did you learn in the process? I think I have got a bad tendency to get really, because I'm very passionate and I definitely, you know, lead with passion if I believe in the purpose. Sometimes that emotion can take over and you can lead with your heart rather than your head. Well, that I, I have done that on an occasion whereby you have to know when to step back. That's challenging as an individual when you want to see through, something through to the end. So I, I think there's been... A couple of occasions where I've probably really led with my heart rather than my head, and uh, I've had to change direction, which is which can be painful, but has played out in the end really positively because I'm I'm definitely one that fails fast and and is agile enough to learn quickly and step back on the horse. I think so. Professionally or personally, how do you overcome your biggest setbacks? Is it is it just getting back on the horse? The way that I, I definitely do, I think I have probably through my military and, and childhood, actually, I have a way of turning, I, I can, it takes me a, a very short period of time 
to get over something and I tend to forget about it and then move quickly on. I don't bear grudges in the slightest. And I focus on the positive. I'm very, very glass half full. And I'm always looking for the next, you know, sort of how do we overcome it? I really think on reflection on your question, actually, Phil, it's about where there's a will, there's a way. And so, and the military certainly helps with that. So you know what the mission is, you know what you need to achieve. You, you know, you'll start out with, you know, they, they call it, you know, COA one, COA two, so your course of action one, course of action two, et cetera. And you start heading on what in one direction and then you hit a effectively, you know, a blocker and you have to navigate your way around it pretty quickly. And if you're in tough circumstances and you need to be thinking on your feet, then you will find a way to get around it. And it's always been as well, about the team that I've surrounded myself with, because if you surround yourself with like-minded people, albeit you need the diversity of thought, you actually can get there a lot quicker because they're sufficiently flexible and agile as well to move with you and reshape the plan quickly. Now you talk about the reference there in the military. Is there any difference there for you in this, of the business environments that you now lead? Well, I think in the military, you are very mission orientated. And so, you know, you're not profit orientated, are you? And so you surround yourself, your battle buddies, as I call them, you always, they tend to think in a similar way. They've had a similar amount of training. It's almost like ground zero. The foundation that you will get is really similar. So your values, what you stand for and how you operate and then how you've been you know, trained in terms of operating in complex environments. So you can rely on individuals in the military who have been through that with you really quickly and, and it's fast paced and off you go. Outside of the military, in business, what I found is there are definitely different agendas, clearly, and a profit makes, you know, a profit agenda makes it more challenging because you will meet different individuals that are, are clearly driven by a different agenda to yourself. But what I have found is actually it's been really exciting. You know, it comes with challenges that are different from the military, but at the same time, with firepower and with a different way of thinking and, and people who are commercially astute, you can have you know, great success. So I've seen a difference. I've seen it being complimentary. I've seen it being, you know, challenging. But then that's probably why I've also put myself in sports because leadership in sport is is quite similar to being in the military. It's very like-minded. It's not profit-oriented. It's more mission-orientated. You know, the mission is to succeed in winning and having that that high-performance team mentality of of sport is fantastic and I thoroughly enjoy it. You do tend to get almost that military mindset in sport, actually. When you're working with your athletes, you know, there'll be a thing around, you know, people at their best when they're in the flow or whatever the, the phrase might be. When are you at your best? When are you in that flow? When do you feel that sense of this is where I belong? I definitely feel like that when the way people act around me you know, is exactly where I'm, you know, where it's that that sense of camaraderie, that sense of we're all aligned to the same mission and this clarity in the purpose that we're trying to achieve. It's exactly the way we act. So it's the attitude of the people that I'm surrounded with. It's the commitment to the task that we're heading into, commitment to that mission, and it's the teamwork. And I don't think I've got a better example of that than Beijing and how I've seen the team come together you know that attitude the athletes attitude the the coaching staff attitude the nutritionist the site you name them their attitude is phenomenal despite all of these setbacks the commitment to getting this team into Beijing in the best shape they possibly can and enabling them the opportunity to succeed on the podium 
I mean, you cannot doubt that commitment and the teamwork. Honestly, it's like being back in the military where heading into a difficult, challenging environment. I'm surrounded by people who are like-minded. They're absolutely driven and they're passionate about doing the right thing for these athletes. So that's when I'm absolutely buzzing. Love it. So on the flip side, what rattles your cage? What makes your blood boil? I am absolutely hopeless if I think that there's any form of deceit, a lack of authenticity, or people are taking the mick. You know, that I am laziness as well. There's a few, actually, Phil. <laughs> what behaviours manifest in you when you see that or feel that? What happens to you? Um, I get an inner disdain is probably how I would best describe it. It's a sense of, and I see it really quickly as well. I guess in the military as well, you know, for that length of time, integrity is absolutely fundamental and trust in your people is fundamental in those environments. You know, people will go to hell and back for you, but you've got to engender a sense of trust. And so I'm very trusting as an individual, but if I sense that actually there's misdemeanors going on or there's an agenda being driven or there's a lack of authenticity, it, it kind of incenses me and it, it doesn't bring out probably the best in me. Anyone that knows me will tell you that they can spot it a mile because it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. It definitely puts my defences up and you don't, you certainly don't get that energy, passion and drive to go forward because suddenly there's a blocker in the way. And that's, that's a, probably the biggest blocker that I ever face if I get a sense of distrust of somebody or something. There's a number of people that listen to this podcast that are often early in career professionals, you know, looking for some leadership advice. What advice would you give or, or share for aspiring leaders? I think take all the opportunities that come your way and, you know, have a believe in yourself, but also surround yourself with good people. Somebody once said to me, actually, and it, it was an amazing, an amazing female. And she said to me, look, Vic, I was having a challenging situation. And she said, Vicky, you know, have you ever realized that B-listers, um, it was with the boss that I had, you know, B-listers don't surround themselves with A-listers because they tend to feel threatened and they're never good at leading them. But A-listers surround themselves with A-listers because they're not intimidated and they're not insecure and they let A-listers really help them get where they need to go. Um, and I, I think, I, you know, never a truer word said, really, um, from my perspective, because when I've watched other people leading and if I've seen some incredibly talented people beneath them being exceptionally frustrated, it's tended to be a failing on the leadership side normally because they haven't let the individual flourish and come through and recognize their talents. So always, you know, just be aware of that, but also really rely on those people around you. I, I call it my matchstick analogy. You know, I think you can snap one matchstick in, in half very simply, but if you get a bundle of matches and you try and break it, it's really hard to do, right? So, you know, surround yourself with great people. And, I, and again, if you want to go fast, you know, go alone, but if you want to go far, then definitely go together. Yeah. And, and what advice would you give to a, a younger Vicky starting out again is what, what would you tell a teenage Vicky Gosling? Um, believe in yourself. I so, so believe in the fact that anything is possible when faced with an unconquered spirit. And I can demonstrate, I believe that obviously through Invictus, watching a triple amputee swim um, 200 metres, I think is pretty, uh, you know, somebody would have said at first glance that was impossible. But anything is possible, but you have to believe in yourself and don't let people 
change your way get you get that inner strength I think by being driven by purpose and 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 looking for things that actually drive you get you up in the morning you know what what is it that excites you don't necessarily do something because it's going to pay all the money you know and you think well that's going to be lucrative do something that drives your inner strength because that will help you succeed give us an insight to Vicky outside of work today please because it's you know it's a full-time job doing what you're doing well, I think outside of work, I am I'm really disciplined in not using my phone at the weekends as much as my friend's frustration because I've got three young children and an amazing husband and I really enjoy sport. I love the outdoors, everything from being on the river to um, watching the kids play football or tennis or soccer or, you know, my eldest is now big into rowing and just having quality time with them. So as soon as, you know, having a glass of wine with my husband, um, I, you know, is really enjoyable. So just family time is key, but also getting some time for me to do some sport too, because that definitely gives me my mojo back. And are you looking beyond the CEO of GB Snow Sport? What does the future hold for you? I think it's really exciting. I don't think my role is quite done there yet there's still a lot to do in growing the sport and ensuring that it's becoming more diverse and inclusive and looking at the talent pipeline we've got for Milan Cortina I think it's really exciting and to be honest with you Phil when I think okay Beijing um, I'm thinking wow this is going to be interesting and very challenging when I think about Milan Cortina I get extremely excited (laughs) 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 <laughs> the fact it's in Europe and and a few other things and hopefully COVID will have um, been kicked in the butt a little bit by then. But I'm obviously always open. There's, there's a couple of other things that are bubbling right now that look very exciting. So I never say never, say never but I'm enjoying what I'm doing for now, that's for sure. And it's, it, there's certainly enough to keep me going. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Um, uh, a few uh, quick fire questions just to close up. What's your guilty pleasure? Oh, it's definitely chocolate and wine, Phil. Definitely chocolate, chocolate and wine any particular make I or brand do. well I do really like Lindor <laughs> so, and with wine it's a mile back and they both go quite nicely together yeah good for you what's one thing you'd put in room 101 oh my gosh it is definitely Elliot's indoor football I yesterday the clock went my the indoor that had a little clock that I was bought for my wedding and actually I don't know how many times I've said not to play with that football inside particularly in the living room and um I I've hidden it I've done everything but I've even given it to the dog to try and eat and uh no it's that that would need to go I was always told that I wasn't allowed to play ball in the house by my mum <laughs> Mum, if you're listening, uh, what are you hopeless at? Oh my gosh, IT. I told you this morning, that's what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can hear the guys recording this laughing as well. And then lastly, what makes you smile? Oh, I absolutely love seeing children engaging in sport. I, I, I don't know what it is, but it does. And seeing seeing kids getting an opportunity in life also enthralls me. I, oh, I did that Project Balance recently where we put the skate and um, gave kids the opportunity to skateboard and then took them into the snow dome, going into the inner cities for kids that were on mail vouchers. And, oh, it was unbelievable watching those kids perform that just I could watch that every day and get a buzz in the morning. So, yeah. I'm with you on that one. I, I think when we founded Hairy Legs uh, and having the kids do the run around Hairy Legs in our local village, it was just, you know, just watching them uh, hair around the field is just the most amazing thing. Isn't it? 
Yeah, brilliant. Look, Vicky, thank you for your time today. Um, an amazing track record of what you've done so far and on the eve of something that will be, I'm sure, brilliant in Beijing. Best of luck to you, your team and all the athletes. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, Vicky. All right, Bill. Bye-bye. Wow, what an amazing lady, Vicky Gosling. That was our first guest of Series 3. If you enjoyed that and you want to listen to either the previous series or for the next guests on Series 3, then please listen to Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. Thank you. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.